This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. Broadcasting from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people, I'm Saviano Moya. Tonight, we feature the National Latino Behavioral Health Association. Their mission and goal is to influence the national behavioral health policy, eliminate disparities in funding and access to services, and improve the quality of services and treatment outcomes for Latino populations. We bring you their platica on Latino well-being during COVID-19 with native New Mexican Dr. Dolores Roybal, who is the former executive director of the Con Alma Health Foundation. Dr. Roybal has 45 years of experience in the nonprofit and philanthropic sector. The Platica is moderated by Fred Sandoval, an executive director for the National Latino Behavioral Health Association. I hope you enjoy this discussion. My name is Fred Sandoval. I'm the executive director for the National Latino Behavioral Health Association. Thank you for joining us today for our series called Platicas, Latino Wellness During COVID-19. NALBA is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the well-being of Latino families and communities in New Mexico and across the United States. Our mission is to address the disparities affecting the behavioral health of Latinos. We're so excited to host this Facebook Live series on how Latinos and their families can and do take care of their well-being, their emotional, physical, and spiritual health situation during COVID-19. I'd like to thank our partner, Morehouse University School of Medicine for helping make this series possible. Each month in this 2021 calendar year, NALBA will host a professional expert in public health, behavioral health, or the field of medicine, as well as other advocates and community members to share their insights, their experiences and expertise on taking care of yourself, your family, and your community during this COVID-19 pandemic, and to also share what resources are available to help. To get us started, here is how, how our, our platica will work. I have several questions that we have ready and prepared to ask our guest speaker, who I'll introduce in just a moment, and that'll get our conversation started. But you as the listening audience can participate too, so please type in your, your questions or if you have comments, I'll be sure to share those with our presenter. So I think we're ready to get started. And uh, I'm just so excited about this opportunity to, to introduce a colleague, a friend, a mentor, uh, a leader who um, she has devoted her, her life to serving New Mexico. Uh, she's really the epitome of service to our state. And uh, it just gives me, gives me great honor to, to make an introduction. And she did send her bio and so while I'll read the bio, I do want you to know that I will ad lib periodically because there is so much that the bio didn't get to say, but it's important for me to make sure you know that the context of who we have today is just a, a gift to NABA and to our state to be able to have her speak about the work she's been involved recently, which we're going to learn about in just a second. So Dr. Dolores Royval, uh, she's, of course, a social worker by training and, and given the work that she's done in New Mexico, she has applied all those social work principles and practices in her career. Uh, she is the recent former director of the Conalma Health Foundation, and she served in that role for 15 years 
and she completely dedicated her work to that organization to help make it, make it what it is today. As a native New Mexican, Dr. Roy Ball has 45 years of experience in the nonprofit and philanthropic sectors. She currently serves as a board member and officer of the New Mexico Association of Grant Makers and with the US-Mexico Border Philanthropy Partnership. She's a former board member, including membership on such boards as the Grant Makers in Health, Hispanics in Philanthropy. She holds a master's degree from New Mexico Highlands University and a PhD that speaks to the work around organizational behavior and development with a focus on nonprofit management, philanthropy, and nonprofit. Dr. Ray Ball is now, as I said, retiring and just recently, so it's probably just a matter of days since she's been retired. So we're excited that she's here with us today. And more importantly, she continues to do work with the Conala Health Foundation, which is going to be very helpful to our state to be able to see her in that continued leadership role serving our state. She's dedicated to building and cultivating partnerships that have really helped prove that when you work together, you can impact people even more so. So that's the introduction just to get us started. And I wanna just say, Dolores, what a treat it is for me to welcome you because uh, you know I just have great admiration for you. you. What you've done for this state is immeasurable. So for the late, uh, Facebook listening audience that's here today, they're gonna get to learn even more about you. So uh, let me just uh, say welcome, bienvenidos. And uh, you should say a little bit more about yourself because uh, I think the more people uh, uh, get to hear about this from you, the more they'll come to appreciate, you know, the fact that everything that you've done in your career, and I can actually remember how far back that goes because I remember uh, us working together many years ago, but share more about your, your, yourself and, and your work and then we'll get started with the other questions. Thank you so much, Fred. Uh, first of all, let me say that the, the feeling is mutual. It has been my honor and pleasure to work with you over, over the years. And I actually have a 45 year history in the field. Thank you to NALBA, to the National Latino Behavioral Health Association for inviting me to be part of this program and for all that you do to improve health with our Latino communities. I also want to thank all of you that are joining us on this platica today. I think one of our greatest resources is our time. So thank you very much for taking a little bit of time to talk about this very important topic. I appreciate the title of this platica, Latina Wellbeing During COVID. Oftentimes, so many people approach this work from a, a negative perspective. So the strength-based focus is something that has really defined my work, both at Konalma and throughout my career. In terms of a, a, a little bit of information about myself on a personal role, I am a Norteña from the Española Valley. I'm the matriarch of my family. I raised with my husband, five kids, eight grandkids, and we have a new generation of three great grandbabies, two of which wow. were born during COVID. That was quite the oh, experience. Wow. My husband, some of you may know, those of you from the area, he's a Paul Roy Ball, he's a 
high school teacher, retired coach and artist. And we have again lived in this area for, for generations. I am fortunate that I've had a lot of experience in terms of the nonprofit and philanthropic sector, primarily in health and behavioral health. And in fact, my first job after getting my master's, um, and actually Fred, it was from the University of Denver. My undergraduate was from New Mexico Highlands, but my MSW was University of Denver. So after I got my master, my first job was at the forensic hospital in Las Vegas. Uh, ah. which was, of course, a behavioral health treatment for um, a certain population. I also helped start the first community mental health centers in New Mexico almost 40 years ago. So, you know, as, as uh, Fred and I have both said, I have a long history in this, in this area. I am a social worker by philosophy, practice, and training. Um, although I've had a lot of titles, that is the one that I most resonate with. And those of you that are social workers know that we don't ever retire. We just have more time to volunteer, right? Fred and I were talking about that before we started this program, where regardless of whether I'm paid or not, I'm going to still do the work that, that I love and that I have been blessed to, to be able to, to do. So do you want me to say anything more, Fred, or do you want me to, you want to continue with your well, next yeah, question? No, we'll, we'll continue with some more questions. And of course, we'll get to sprinkle in things uh, about your, your, your background and your experience and everything that you bring to the table, because it's in large measure uh, uh, been so critical to how that's influenced your approach and your strategy to addressing uh, health equity here in New Mexico. And, I really look forward to hearing more about that. So folks um, who are listening in today and, and even with the recorded version, we'll get to learn about what those efforts have done to make changes in New Mexico and how that's helped, particularly now with the, the, the pandemic. And I do want folks to know that it's actually much credit to you and the Conalma Health Foundation for actually helping seed these platicas. So, uh, it's important to give credit where credit is due, because when we started uh, these platicas, when the COVID pandemic hit, uh, I reached out to you and, and you in short fashion were right, right up to bat. And uh, so Dolores, thanks for that. And in fact, um, Morehouse University School of Medicine picked up on it and so did the Office of Minority Health. So believe me, you're always um, front and leading the pack and and uh, it's great to share that leadership role with you. So what I'd like to do is, um, you know, ask you a question about how New Mexico's response to mitigate COVID-19 has been different than other states across the nation. Um, so while, you know, we work in New Mexico, really we get to hear about what is happening across the nation and uh, uh, in your work in recent years, you have been very instrumental in helping New Mexico really in some ways lead the nation in many respects. And I say that because this is, there's documentation of what has happened, but your role particularly in this area is just so significant that today is a chance to highlight that and showcase that. But um, yeah, I'd like you to say a little about how New Mexico's response has been different than other states. Thank you. Uh, New Mexico certainly is, 
is unique in, in, in many regards. Part of our efforts include our collaboration with the New Mexico Department of Health. Through a grant from the Kellogg Foundation, a $2.5 million grant, CONAMA has been able to participate in a vaccine equity effort with the New Mexico Department of Health's equity plan with the University of New Mexico uh, and with other you know, organizations in order to really focus on vaccine rollout um, in particular. New Mexico's many characteristics, both in terms of strengths and challenges, have certainly played a role with COVID. That includes our large geographic and largely rural nature of our state, as well as the high percentage of people of color. And I think we all know that people of color have disproportionately been impacted by COVID. And that certainly is the case in New Mexico, particularly with the Hispanic and with the Native American population. With that said, New Mexico has actually done an incredible job, particularly compared to other states regarding the COVID pandemic. And that includes efforts such as going out early through the leadership of our governor and implementing certain protocols such as social isolation, the mask mandates, um, other activities such as the immediate and rapid rollout. And New Mexico, I'm happy to say, has hit its goal of 60% people vaccinated. So many of the restrictions, or actually all of the restrictions, will be lifted on July 1st. New Mexico is ahead of most states in terms of getting shots in the arm. And I think that this, again, is attributed to many characteristics that New Mexico has, such as centralized uh, government and health department. And you certainly know this, Fred, as a former deputy secretary for the Department of Health. We have many partners, too, um, in the philanthropic sector and nonprofit sector that have contributed to the vaccine rollout and other efforts regarding the uh, pandemic. So for example, Konalma Health Foundation last year received a $1 million grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation as part of its national humanitarian effort for COVID relief and recovery. Konalma also received prior to the current grant of 2.5 Last year, Konama received a $500,000 grant that Konama matched with local and national funders, such as Hispanics in Philanthropy and many others, to support vaccine efforts and COVID relief and recovery for the large immigrant population in New Mexico. Konama has made many grants for this effort and I'll speak to those in, in a little bit in terms of the types of grants. But overall, I think this kind of collaborated multi-sector approach of government, of federal and state support, tribal support, and the nonprofit sector 
um, along with our business sector has made a difference. Yeah, that's a yeah. Thank you for describing uh, kind of the breadth and the scope of this work because uh, the collaboration isn't just between two organizations. This is uh, multiple organizations, uh, state agencies, public agencies, as you said, the philanthropy community, community-based organizations. Um, and if you think about how much it takes to really concert that effort. And then to have the impact that it has, it's been just remarkable. So uh, congratulations to you for being able to be able to put your arms around such a large undertaking. And then, as you said, to manage the resources that have been awarded by the foundations to really help leverage other resources. And with all of that, I, I loved when you talked about how you worked with community organizations through mini grants and mini grants is a a very effective way of being able to mobilize many different groups across the state because oftentimes what we don't realize is that the state is huge. Uh, to go from Shiprock to Hobbs to go from Clayton to Silver City and everything in between, Guadalajara is really a broad reach and uh, so do uh, the efforts of this entire collaborative effort. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more about the, the mini grants and what you found to be uh, impactful in relationship to that, the types of organizations that came forward to really be part of that bigger collaboration, because uh, these are the folks that are uh, in the communities, on the ground, helping families who are reaching out due to job loss, due to food um, uh, insecurity, or due to circumstances that were way beyond their control. So I'd love to hear more about the mini grants and uh, and see you know, where those uh, projects are today. Thank you. So in addition to basic needs such as food, housing, utilities, economic relief, Konoma also provided grants to nonprofits around the state for COVID testing, such as the Mora Health Clinic, and PPE supplies that we did throughout the state to many different organizations, assistance for medications for those that had no other way to obtain them, and even childcare costs. Because again, uh, mm. you know, CONAMA defines health very broadly. It includes behavioral health, oral health, environmental health, economic and spiritual health and well-being so health is more than health care and that's where the equity perspective comes in so some of the support also uh, supported some of the increased need for crisis management and behavioral health services including the increase in domestic violence so examples of that are we did give some organizations funding to increase support for transitional housing for victims and families uh, that were affected by domestic violence. There was and continues to be an increase on crisis intervention, uh, particularly youth, as we all know, were very isolated because of schools having to close 
So we saw a lot um, in terms of the behavioral health side. And again, this was through, throughout the state. We also funded programs such as the New Mexico Center on Law and Poverty to inform individuals about their rights to housing and income support to provide legal um, assistance to clients that, they, you know, uh, that might be impacted by eviction. And we provided services for veterans that were in need of you know, behavioral health or other kind of um, basic needs. Yeah, thank you for, for describing what is uh, one of the most significant uh, benefits of the work that uh, you've led, particularly because as people lost jobs, uh, lost income, many lost housing, lost their homes. And then there was that period of time where people were still at risk of losing their homes or even their uh, uh, mortgages, right? Because of the fact that they weren't employed and uh, you know the payments that people get behind on. And clearly it just means that the safety net that was put in place uh, took a lot to be able to, to ensure that people would not be without the basic necessities. It's, it's, it's shocking in some ways to think that here we were uh, in a nation with such incredible resources, but the pandemic really buckled us at the knees. Uh, one of the things that I um, uh, shared with uh, the director for NIDA at a, uh, a conference for the American health insurance plans was that, uh, as you said, uh, the mental health impact on all of us not only occurred uh, early on, but continues to happen, and that there'll be continued impact as it relates to how our well-being because of the isolation, the loneliness, the worry, particularly Latinos were very worried. Uh, and that worrisome takes its toll, right? Because it doesn't immediately go away. But there was something that was said that I want to share with you. Uh, you know, the, um, the NIDA director, Dr. Nora Wolkoff, said that they, they had anticipated that across their nation, there would probably be a, an increase up to 30% in substance abuse, uh, and particularly as it relates to opioids, given the number uh, of over overdose deaths that took place during the epidemic for uh, COVID, the epidemic for uh, opioid use was con continuing to happen. So I shared with her that, um, in the area where um, our organization is doing prevention work is our data shows that there was a, a jump of over 300% of fentanyl use in uh, Northern Santa Fe and Southern Uribe County. And so it tells us that people are struggling, right? And so now with the resources that have been brought to bear on helping our families, what do you see happening over the next year? What do you, what do you project will happen with the collaboration that's taking place and what do you look forward to seeing happen over the next year? I think, uh, you know, uh, to, to answer that, I would start by saying that what distinguishes Konoma Health Foundation's work is our focus on health equity. You know, and that is where, you know, on ensuring that everyone has the opportunity for good health, regardless of race, ethnicity, or income. 
And so that means that it requires removing obstacles such as poverty and increasing access to services and healthcare and other um, opportunities related to equity, such as affordable housing, um, you know, a good, a good job, educational opportunities. And so in, so in, in answer to your, your, your big question, I think is that what we try to do is to look at both COVID relief and recovery. You'll notice that in all of my responses, I include both. That means that we need to look at both short-term um, needs, such as a rapid vaccine rollout so that we address both those that may have barriers to getting a vaccine, you know, because of transportation or age or other uh, barriers, as well as those that have vaccine hesitancy due in part to misinformation or stereotypes or, you know, political or religious beliefs, whatever that may be. So it's looking at both the short-term and long-term systemic barriers. That includes supporting the work that your organization does in terms of building a culturally appropriate behavioral health workforce. That means having a health workforce, community health workers, you know, health alliance um, that are culturally relevant. That means uh, removing barriers such as the digital divide, the lack of you know, broadband in New Mexico. That means having, you know, access to affordable housing and protecting people from, um, you know, eviction. So there are, you know, many answers to, to that question, but the, the main one is the short-term and long-term. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And uh, just really, Real quickly here, I, I want to make sure you, you know you, you got a shout out from Carmen Rodriguez. Uh, she says, "Good to see you, uh, Dr. Roy Ball." And um, we have another colleague who uh, frequents us regularly, uh, Valerie Romero. And hello, and a shout out to her. Uh, our colleague down in El Paso, Texas, who visits and frequents the, the our platicas is Corinne Chacon. And so, hello, Corinne and. Uh, she says, hello from El Paso, but she says these increases in opioid and fentanyl abuse are alarming. You are listening to Generation Justice, broadcasting on 89.9 KUNM-FM, where tonight we share a discussion on Latino well-being during COVID-19 from the National Latino Behavioral Health Association. In this episode, Fred Sandoval, Executive Director for the National Latino Behavioral Health Association, speaks with Dr. Dolores Royball, who has dedicated her life to New Mexico's health and well-being. I want to share something with you that I heard from a group of community health workers that we did a focus group with. And Dr. Royball, you'll particularly appreciate this uh, because, you know, we, we feel and are fully committed to ensuring that what we know and what we learn is informed by our communities. And uh, so it's important for us to be engaged to hear what people in the front lines, essential workers and how our community members, our families are feeling what they're experiencing. So we know firsthand. 
So there was two things that were shared with, with me that uh, I'd like you to respond to because you are very right to say that, you know, how is it that um, all of these things can be done and who is it that helps? Well, in this focus group of community health workers, they said two, two things to me that uh, have left a very uh, strong impression on what I think I need to try to help with in whatever way possible. And one of them was they took such great pride in being called essential workers, right? Uh, so in other words, they, people were validating how, how important their work is as community health workers and described them as you know, being essential to this uh, effort against the, the virus, but then proceeded to tell me two things. One is how scared they were, particularly at the onset of the pandemic, because it meant they didn't know a whole lot about the virus themselves and were feeling very vulnerable. And as they said, simply scared. It took some time to kind of work that through so the mental health impact on them was uh, was fairly evident. Then the other one was they were saying, you know, we work weekends, we work weeknights, sometimes on holidays, and some of us don't even get paid at all. And and so there was an expectation that as community health workers that they not only be in the front lines, but somehow they were getting some of them were getting paid. So that's a, a significant issue, right? Because the, the vaccine efforts, the, uh, the encouragement, the community education, the campaigns to let people know where resources are at, oftentimes are done by community members, such as community health workers. And how would you wanna mitigate those kinds of situations so that those don't happen in New Mexico, right? Because this is in Southern New Mexico and, and in the El Paso County area. But what would you say would be important to help support community health workers to be able to take that charge and help us help our communities and help our families? Thank you for, for asking that. There are a number of efforts underway. Uh, they're not enough, but there are efforts underway. And I want to start with the New Mexico Department of Health and the work that it's doing and funding that is being uh, provided and collaborative efforts for both the uh, Alliance of Health Councils around the state as well as community health workers. I think that that's a very important initiative. The, the hitch, of course, is that we need to continue it past whatever term of funding is currently available. You know, that sustainability in terms of supporting and strengthening and having sustainable uh, funding for these networks of community health workers and other frontline workers is, is critical. We have funded uh, certain organizations, agencies to do this work, such as the New Mexico Caregivers Coalition, as well as the New Mexico um, different organizations, such as the Center for Health Innovation, Public Health Institute, for some of the work that they're doing to improve the capacity of the COVID response by training and credentialing culturally and linguistically appropriate care workers. So those types of efforts individually are important, but what's most important is that it be an integrated long-term effort that goes post COVID 
that it doesn't just address the current public health crisis, but that we strengthen these networks, They're these frontline workers, both in terms of you know, benefits, um, not just now, but going forward. New Mexico Voices for Children did a report uh, about a year or so ago with other partners, and they called it, I think, essential but excluded, meaning that there are certain populations of our workforce that are essential workers, including immigrants, but they're excluded from getting any kind of benefits. And I think that those kinds of systems, again, you know, really have to be um, addressed. And I'm happy to say that Konama has been a longtime supporter of both the Alliance of Health Councils and the community health workers um, for many years. But you know, we can't do it alone. There has to be um, a lot more support. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, I want to share with the listening audience that way before um, our, our current president, uh, the Honorable um, President Biden, talked about health equity, Dolores Rival was carrying that banner. Uh, so uh, really, if you count the number of years where you have really led the charge on how health equity is the way of solving and addressing and acting on these disparities because its focus is on solutions rather than just being aware that the problems exist and that the disparities are there. And so health equity is very different uh, today than it was even 10 years ago, right? And uh, I think it holds in tremendous hope for New Mexico, for our country. But if you think about how far ahead of you of the pack you've been on this health equities approach, right? Because it, it, what it does, it tears down barriers. It starts to fill in gaps. It challenges those uh, very issues that are uh, are problematic. And you know, health equity is really an incredible opportunity in our nation to now solve and resolve and take on bigger challenges, right? When we think about how systems work and how well they don't work, and um, how will health equity look like in the next uh, few years? Given now there's a larger federal response around that and how that can in fact really reinforce the message that you led the charge on way before the nation was saying health equity. I'm hearing it almost every day now. And so you wanna say something about that? There's, 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 there's a, a little magic stew there though we should talk about. Well, thank you, Fred, but I think you gave me, gave me way too much credit. Let me put the credit where it's due. And that is with the founders of Konama Health Foundation who started the organization 20 years ago. This is actually our 20th anniversary. And what's interesting is that in the bylaws, you will not see the word equity anywhere. Yet everything in the bylaws is equity. The way Konama Health Foundation defines health broadly, the way that it's understood that health is more than health care, the focus on community self-definition and self-determination. 
In other words, Konama is not a prescriptive funder, but Konama encourages and supports communities to identify the need or the problem and to come up with its own solution. So in some of those examples I gave you earlier about basic needs, it wasn't for us to decide what a basic need was. If a basic need was childcare, then that was the basic need. So that the person go to work could go to work, right? Whatever it may be. It also includes core values such as involving the community impacted in the decision-making. And I think that is key to this public health crisis currently and to health equity you know, going forward. It really is the, the core of what we're doing. We certainly have seen a trend in, in the last 15 years in terms of more organizations getting away from the siloed approach of the work that we do and understanding that everything is related food, the air that you breathe, the water that you drink, where you live, where you work, everything is related. And that's what equity is. And a big part of that is removing the barriers to good health, whatever they may be. And that includes having a you know, culturally relevant workforce. There are you know, a number of elements in health equity for it to continue and not just be a fad that is based again on a lot of the work that you're doing. Research-based, data-informed, right? Evidence-based practice, involving the people that are directly related in the problem solving, cultural values and practices, lifting those up, making sure that we honor, you know, the community self-determination. It really is not a new concept. It's something that um, I think people of color in particular have always understood. This concept of health is, you know, bien y sana, right? It's, it's much more than just health care. So I don't take credit for it. I, I take credit for living it. That's a nice way of describing it, because right when we when we apply our values and beliefs to what we do, how we act and behave and how we view things, that's that's how where the action sits. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, if you know, if I could just uh, add, Fred. Yes, please. I could just add that, that along with that includes the, the spiritual health and well-being. And mm. that's why I complimented you on the title of this platica earlier, that it was strengths-based. You know, it was based on a wellness model versus an illness model. You know, it's lifting up those traditional and non-traditional practices that have served us so well, you know, that contribute to our, our well-being and to our, you know, uh, mental health and really lift up those practices and those values such as families, such as community um, that, you know, have served us so well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we, uh, part of our value set at NABA is in fact, 
because we believe that everything about our culture and language informs us and guides us is a whole part of what we believe is the whole person, whole health perspective. And we know that every aspect of, of those uh, conditions that are spiritual in nature, physical, which is you know, physiological and psychological, all of those are part of the whole person. And to have effective health outcomes, the person needs to benefit from the strategies in a system that has to address all of those concurrently and preferably in a way that's unified. Uh, you know, we see lots of challenges about that, but thank you. We uh, absolutely believe that. And along those lines, one of the things that we have observed is the benefits of having culturally tailored uh, content and messaging to help provide education and information to local communities. So instead of relying on national uh, messaging, what we do is we would say is how would we say that and how would we apply that in a local community? Because there's a local patois of sorts, verdad? Uh, so the way we would have normal conversations like us today in La Platica is we would talk to each other the way we normally would talk to each other. We don't, we don't change our, our words so that we talk to each other as we're trying to market something to each other. We're talking to each other so we can understand the concepts that we're trying to apply. And uh, we work with a group in El Paso, uh, the NYC Institute, which is Mano y Corazon, and they help revive uh, a Chicano term called La Cultura Cura, and which we feel has been very important because it talks about how, in fact, in our culture, we talk about how important our well-being is. I would say that uh, Latinos will always give you their perspective when you ask them the question, right? Como estas? Y platicame más, right? And oh my God, they'll tell you so much you want to know. You just after a while say, okay, okay, that's enough, you know? Uh, but the point being is we, we're not shy. Uh, I think people have misinterpreted us is what's happened. Uh, it's because they may not know the right questions to ask or to know that we want to have some an opinion, but we also know that there are courtesies and nuances such as being asked for our opinion. So oftentimes people don't give us the courtesy of asking us what they uh, assume is that we don't have anything to say. But say something about cultural messaging. Uh, when we now have 40% of folks in New Mexico who still have decisions to make about getting immunized and addressing what they think is important to themselves and their families. What kinds of things will we be saying to people of the balance of the state? Because we still have a ways to go, right? And um, how will cultural messaging from your perspective, Dr. Ball, help to message to people the importance, the value of why this public health strategy of vaccinations is in everybody's interest, right? Um, you want to share a little bit about your insights to that? Yes, thank you for, for asking. I, I want to acknowledge, again, the four organizations that the W.K. Kellogg Foundation is funding related to the vaccine rollout and community rebuild. You know, that includes, as I mentioned, the New Mexico Department of Health and their vaccine equity plan, which includes on their part support for community health workers and um, health councils. There also is uh, funding through the Kellogg Foundation 
for the UNM Center for Social Policy and the work that they're doing on data-informed research, particularly related to messaging for populations of color in New Mexico. And so the work that they're doing is going to be very helpful in terms of tailoring some of those messages to our communities. Conalma's role will be to help disseminate that information um, in partnership with these other you know, groups, this kind of multi-sector public-private collaboration. The uh, other group is called Aztec for short, which stands for the Albuquerque Area Southwest Tribal Epidemiology Center. And what they're doing is working on culturally tailored messaging and communications with Native American groups. So everyone is focused on coming up with messages that can be shared with folks around the state based on the geographic and ethnic racial population. But it's also going to be done through trusted messengers such as your organization. You know, so we'll share it with you as well, you know, the National Latino Behavioral Health Association, such as you know, the New Mexico Association of Grant Makers health councils, community health workers, interfaith and faith-based organizations. That's gonna really be the key is having trusted messengers and messengers, right, both. So I think that strategy, you know, will be one that's really important. And, you know, I was really happy when you asked me to participate in this program today for that reason, and I know that you've had my colleague, you know, uh, Robert Mapodaka uh, that did the same. It's important that, you know, the messengers get out in, in different ways. Yeah, that's yeah, that's absolutely right. There's absolutely no one size will work at all. We need multiple uh, approaches, multiple uh, opportunities using, as you said, the multiple sectors. Uh, because in part, uh, that's what the community is like. It's diverse. It's, there's many pieces to it. And we recognize the value of that. Um, I want to share that we did post on our Facebook uh, chat just a while ago something that's really cool, right? So we, when we think about how do we message to each other information, right? Well, there's one thing that Latinos uh, love besides food, right? Uh, and their family and God, right, is uh, music. Uh, so as a musician, we always know that music is always uh, soothing, uh, it inspires us, it messages us information. So we uh, worked with a group from Los Angeles, and they were kind enough to let us use um, uh, a song that was written, it's called uh, Vacunate, and it's done in a salsa style, and we had put it on the, in the Facebook page, and we want people to listen to it. It's, it's all of maybe a couple of minutes long, but it's really inspiring and it's encouraging uh, people to be, be, get vaccinated, right? And it's done in a way that, you know, you're dancing in the kitchen or you're dancing somewhere in your house when you're listening to this song, but it's encouraging you, you know, to get vaccinated and why? Because it's important because, you know, families are the cornerstone of the Latino community and, and where I've, I've always heard Latinos and lived this, you know, and that is, we do everything to support and take care of our families. But I wanna share that um, just as a little tidbit there, but 
you know, we uh, are just like the Conal Health Foundation are devoted, committed to ensuring that we continue to do everything to support um, uh, our states um, uh, across the nation because uh, when you think of the nation's population, almost 19% is Latino, so almost one in five in this nation. And we see the need is great in some states more than others. New Mexico is doing great by most standards. Uh, but we also know that we have a role to play. We can help inform and educate and continue to bring that message forward. Uh, we were actually helped, asked to help um, the uh, University of Chicago through the National Opinion Research Center on what would be messaging appropriate to reaching out to Latinos. And through that project and that effort called How Right Now, or Que Hacer Ahora, we actually uh, uh, were able to contribute to what the CDC calls an evidence-based practice on community education, uh, because it helps to reach uh, and message constantly in different ways, as you said, uh, Dr. Roy Ball. So I uh, want to share that with you. Um, we did have um, uh, a comment here by our friend, uh, uh, Corinne Chacon, and um, she says something here because it includes something that you can relate to. Um, she said that she was very impressed with what New Mexico did to establish their response to COVID-19 and uh, felt that it was very much grounded in, in, in equity and particularly focused on the well-being of family and community. So she says it provides an exemplary model for states to be able to look at something like what was done here in New Mexico. And what advice or guidance would you offer to our colleagues in other states, right? Because uh, she's coming from Texas uh, in what was considered one of the hotspots for COVID. And what people don't realize is there was some nuggets of, that were in those communities like El Paso. Uh, they, for instance, in a state that has over 240 counties, imagine that, right? We have 33, they have over 240. 40 plus counties. El Paso County was number one in getting people vaccinated. So, uh, you know, so we know that in some communities, some counties, people are very committed to addressing their, the needs of their communities. But what advice would you give to other states about following New Mexico's example, if you will? And then, and then we're gonna ask you after that for some takeaways for the day because, um, I can't believe the time has flown by so fast already, Dr. Roy Ball, but here we are, right? Trying to cover a lot of ground. But uh, anyway, if you could um, you know, share your response to how, do you, how would you help inform or influence other uh, parts of the country about what, what has happened here successfully? Again, you know, giving credit where credit is due. I think we have to acknowledge the the work that our governor did in terms of getting out fast um, and in an assertive way in terms of taking immediate action to control the spread of, of COVID. The, the way that there was a centralizing of different partners that were working together, the work that we're doing now in a public-private um, collaborative spirit with government at all levels, including, you know, FEMA, tribal government, state, um, local, 
the way that we are incorporating the nonprofit sector, uh, which includes both non-grant making nonprofits and funders such as Quinalma. In fact, today uh, we had a project team meeting and just recommended funding of 24 organizations around the state specifically focused on the vaccine rollout uh, with uh, hesitant populations totaling 525,000 and we will be doing another round of over 1 million to continue with the vaccine promotion and community uh, rebuild. So the nonprofit philanthropic and I think we need to do a better job of including the business sector, particularly small businesses that were also hard hit by COVID. It's kind of like a three-legged stool, you know, government being one leg, the nonprofit sector and philanthropy being this one leg, and the business sector being the third leg. It takes all three legs to support this table of community. And I think that New Mexico was able to do that, was able to bring the different sectors together to bring um, science into the picture, so to speak, in terms of bringing providers and practitioners, experts to advise the governor and others on, you know, on some activities. So I think all of that, um, you know, together has made New Mexico unique and successful. Awesome. Well, so here we are. We're we're almost at the end of our program, and it's an opportunity for us to uh, have you leave our listening audience with the takeaway. You know, something that they'll be able to hear that you think is vital to what's in store for uh, being able to ensure that uh, we take care of New Mexicans and their wellness, uh, because you know you've been in a, a leadership role to help influence that and. So when you speak, people listen. What would be one takeaway, uh, Dr. Rayball, that you'd like to leave us with before we wrap up here today? And uh, and of course, after you you do that, I'll want to say some thank you to some folks that uh, have commented on Facebook here. But um, so let me turn it back to you. Thank you, Fred. I'd say that um, that the the main takeaway is that equity is at the core of our work that what we're dealing with now with this public health crisis with COVID-19 is a current urgent need, but we have to look beyond that. We have to continue our work with equity. You know, Konama was an equity foundation be be before equity became cool. Konama will continue to be an equity foundation when people may have lost interest in the term. It doesn't change the work, it doesn't change the concept, you know, the importance of everyone having an opportunity for good health, the opportunity of removing barriers to good health, and the opportunity to make sure that as Latinos that we, you know, take pride in and we support our cultural values and, and heritage. Mil gracias. Oh, absolutely. Well, that, that's beautiful. And uh, by the way, uh, um, Corinne says, thank you for her highlighting Dr. Ray Ball's exceptional experience and sabiduría. Uh, your colleague, uh, Carmen, says to say, uh, Mana del Norte is very proud of you. And uh, and so you obviously have fans of your own, verdad? 
uh, folks who greatly appreciate uh, how much you commit yourself to New Mexico. And, and uh, I know firsthand uh, after your years of service that um, you have more that you will continue to do. And, and we look forward to partnering with you and collaborating in ways that really help to advance uh, our respective uh, missions because you know we have mutual interest and uh, part of that is that como dice el dicho que una mano lava la otra y las dos lavan la cara verdad that one hand washes the other and both hands wash the face uh, there's more work to be done but we have started y como dice el otro dicho que algo comenzado no es algo completado so something started is not something finished so there's still more work for us to do together uh, Dr. Ray Ball and I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today and the ideas and the uh, tips and offerings of insight and expertise that you offered today. Dr. Roy Ball was uh, helpful to the people who were trying to help and that is our families and our communities and particularly our children who will be the next phase of a lot of the work that should be focused on. So with that, we're going to conclude uh, today's platica with our colleague and our, our guest, Dr. Dolores Reval. And uh, always great to have a Norteña on this show because uh, it always shows that uh, that sabiduría, as Corinne called it, is because uh, we have folks who have committed their life's work to helping others. So with that, thank you all very much for joining us for today. And that concludes today's Plática Latino Wellness during COVID-19. Mil gracias. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dolores Royball, for sharing all about the Kona Elmer Health Foundation and talking about all kinds of health in New Mexico. This topic is very important, and I'm so grateful to have learned about it through this plática. We'd like to thank Fred Sandoval and our friends at the National Latino Behavioral Health Association for this great plática. For more platicas like this one, visit the National Latino Behavioral Health Association's Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Real with production assistance from Barbara Ramirez. Our website is generationjustice.org. We're also active on social media, so find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. GJ is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation and the Annie E. Casey Foundation. I'm Saviano Moya, and coming up is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico.